Yeah, go ahead, say it. Ben Wheatley. <laughs> That's just how I feel like his name should be said. Ben Wheatley. No, like his grandmother. Ben Wheatley. <laughs> Benny. <laughs> Benny, my boy. Now I'm Slughorn. It's time to send something to the crack in time and space. No, not the me. Crack. <laughs> God's crack. <laughs> Damn it. I cannot be stopped. <laughs> oh, no. What a crack up. What's good, fam? This is the Queer Archive, a queer and feminist Doctor Who podcast. Welcome. Just as a reminder before we get started, this is a spoiler-heavy podcast. This week, we'll be talking about Into the Dalek. So, to start with our initial thoughts, let's pull to open. Okay, so initial thoughts. This episode was okay. If a student turned this into my class, I would give it a C-. How do you think of it as a Dalek episode? I mean, I generally do not prefer Dalek episodes, so <laughs> there's not much to live up to. Yeah, I'm trying to think about Dalek episodes that I enjoy. I like The Magician's Apprentice. Not The Sorcerer's Not The Sorcerer's That's the Disney short with the dancing broomsticks. I do like The Magician's Apprentice, but I don't really think that that's a Dalek episode. That's a Davros episode. You like it despite that it's a Dalek episode. Yeah. And I also, the Dalek episode I think I like the most is The Colorful Daleks and the Jammy Dodger with Winston Churchill. Which, I forgot, is a Gatiss episode. Can you believe? Can you believe? I have never liked a Gatiss episode ever, but I like that one. We'll drag Gatiss later, like next episode. I think the role of the Dalek episode here is, as this is Holly's second episode, they're like, let's throw some Daleks at him and see how he responds. Mm. We need to get to know this doctor. And sure. I mean, Daleks are so helpful for exposition. Because they tell you what's happening just in case you didn't catch it. Like in this episode, Rusty's like, normal operation restored. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. So that's a bad Dalek now, quote unquote. Thank you, I guess. Really random thought. That coffee is definitely cold. Oh, you mean the coffee that the doctor has? (laughs) The doctor picks up Journey Blue holding a tray of coffee. Hot and coffees. They're, they're in hot coffee cups. Hot, yep. He doesn't give those damn coffees to Clara until scenes later, after a whole meeting with Aristotle, <laughs> after meeting the Dalek, comes up and picks up Clara, and he's like, oh. You sent me for coffee. That's not hot news. She drinks it, too. She shotguns it right before they go back into the Aristotle, so. She used to up her standards. Yeah, I feel like they were trying to set up um, 12 as vaguely absent-minded at the beginning yeah because he says a lot of like it's one or the other sure not sure it's hard to say and he just does stuff like that where he's like yeah i'll go get us coffee and then three weeks later he shows up and she's like hey man where you been maybe that's just a doctor thing one of the very few consistent threads that just remains from doctor to doctor to doctor yeah it's a part of their non-humanness their alienness that the small human concerns like getting coffee or time although he does always say i have a thing about time yeah beyond time when he talks to bill later so that's a little inconsistent but But they're just kind of like all like that but this doctor is actually good about that's the two things we haven't talked about this yet um, and i'm sure we will but there's two things that he is good at that no other doctor is good at 
thus far, which is he flies the TARDIS very steadily. There's none of that like wailing about and they're grabbing onto things and it's shaking. He's just like, pull it into drive, stand very calmly. And two, that when he says, I will get you back by the second, he does. He does it like three times for Clara on the season. Yeah. He just gets distracted between. I just want to add that Clara is so damn smooth. She is. She's good. Danny who's out here being a clown. Clara's like, don't worry about that. Yeah. I'm smooth enough for the both of us. Yeah. He's like inserting his foot way into his mouth. And she's like, I got this. Please remove that. Thank you. Speaking of cute, who is Clara's stylist? Oh, uh, her outfits. All them clothes. I mean, I guess some of the costumes she wore last season were pretty cute too. But I don't remember. That doesn't exist. There's no leaf. But in this season and next season especially, they dress her in a lot of Topshop, which is, of course, why cosplayers love her, because her stuff was attainable. And she just looks cute as fuck. I wish I'd bought that Shalex Eyes shirt when it was on sale. It was only, like, $12. Missed opportunity. I blew it. Now that we're inside the TARDIS, let's fly over a couple of galaxies to give a piece of our mind to the High Council of Gallifrey. This is, in fact, Ben Wheatley again. Same director as Deep Breath, the past episode. Um, There's some choices being made here, let's say. (laughs) I just want to say poor Capaldi. He is doing his goddamn best. He's doing the best he can with what he's been given, truly. This is what I was saying last episode. I think in Deep Breath, a lot of the things he tries are interesting and make sense. And then he does try to deploy a lot of the same sorts of gags here, and it ends up being... A flop. Yeah, like, I think the scene when they go into the Dalek eye stock is interesting. Yeah. But the scene with the green screen and the star being born is, like, I I almost... Yeah, I almost experienced secondhand embarrassment watching it. Exactly. Peter really is doing the best that he can with what he's been given, but it's just, like, woof. The only other thing I'll talk about here in the High Council is that the scene with Missy with Gretchen, Allison, Carlisle was actually directed by Rachel Talalay. I definitely feel like you can super tell the difference between that little scene and the rest of it. She also directed the scene at the end of Deep Breath with Missy and the Half-Faced Man, also Rachel Talalay. Was it because Ben Wheatley was unavailable? Yeah, and, yeah, they were adding it and he had to leave or whatever. I don't really know. But filming episodes for Doctor Who takes like three weeks. So um, I don't know if they decided to add those at the end. I saw her talk about it at Gallifrey 1 once, but I don't remember if she was saying they shot them all in like one run or if she actually literally came back two separate times and then later when she filmed the finale because she filmed Dark Water and Death in Heaven. Anyways, all that to say, Ben, not my favorite work this episode. Well, I'm uh, I think I'm done hollering at people in charge for now. Let's wash that bad taste out of our mouth by grabbing something to snack on from the Black Archive. So now it's time for the Black Archive, a segment that's full of such dangerous, forbidden, and powerful stuff that even the doctor can't go there. Here we examine things like race, class, sexuality, gender, bodies, and all that stuff your mom warned you about. What do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about the sublime. Ooh, last week we got Foucault. This week we've got some Kant. Just really going for it. Buckle up. 
I mean, this episode, I think, uses the sublime very well in the scene where they're walking into the eye stock mm. of the Dalek. Yeah, I like that Clara too. is saying how beautiful this is, and we're seeing that blue... Wavy. Yeah, there's some, like, interesting visual effects happening, and then mm-hmm. the sound design is like really well done. So this is a visually captivating moment. Mm-hmm. And then, at the same time, it's so beautiful, and Clara's saying this... The doctor is also saying, welcome to the most dangerous place in the universe. That juxtaposition is just the principle of sublime, that something can be so beautiful and awe-inspiring, but at the same time, absolutely terrifying and dangerous. Kant talks about the moment of the sublime feels annihilating. That's the word he used, because it sort of destabilizes your sense of understanding of the world and how it works. And that's exactly how beauty ends up working in this episode Mm -hmm. for the villain of the episode, the Dalek. The Dalek experiences beauty, takes it in, and has these two very different outcomes. Does it inspire destruction? Or does it inspire peace? Or does it inspire both? Yeah. And I think Kant would say that both are valid reactions, right? That when you are confronted with the sublime, the desire to destroy or the desire to surrender are both equally valid. So I think that little moment of foreshadowing there... Pretty well done. Yeah. I think another thing that I'm interested in here is the doctor's continuing grudge against soldiers, but he's like mad about it this season. He's real mad about it. He's rude to Blue. He's rude to everybody in the Aristotle. This fucking starts mad. Like, you have already injured me. Yes. Yeah. When Journey says something about wanting to be liked, he says, You don't need to be liked. You've got all the guns. Oh, that that was a good line. It is a good line. But he's also kind of acting out his trauma yeah. on these people that he's never met before. Fairly hypocritical, and let's yo, say. who used to be a soldier at one point in their lives? Yeah. Who started this whole journey of traveling universes because he was escaping a war? Yeah. I'm also, I don't have anything yet to say about this, but Moffat really likes to treat the church and the military as interchangeable. This is not the first episode he does it. He also does this in The Time of the Angels. And in the time of the doctor, where the church and the military are one. And he's he's saying something there, and I, I'm i just putting a pin in it for us for later. He seems to be pretty anti-both. And yeah, maybe... I think he's actually atheist in real life. I don't know that. Mm-hmm. I haven't fact-checked that. I mean, Doctor Who, as a series, treats religion in a very singular way. It paints religion as a violent force that is parallel to the military branch. I would say during the Moffat era, it also does that with a fair measure of disdain. Mm-hmm. I always think about Joss Whedon and Buffy, because Joss Whedon is also atheist. Yeah. And Buffy borrows a fuck ton of religious iconography. And a lot of the myth building around vampires is... It's from religion, but it's never disdainful about religion. It's usually just like, huh, that's strange. At one point, Buffy literally says, religion, weird. (laughs) So I think that there's a real contrast between how that is, where you're like, oh, that's weird over there versus what this is doing, which is asserting that religion is often dangerous, violent, short-sighted, all of the things that he accuses them of being, which is not to say that they're wrong. I'm just, I'm interested. Like I said, I'm putting a pin in it for, for now. 
What is with the doctor making up nicknames for black characters instead of just learning their goddamn names? Mm. What is with this? In this episode, he calls Journey Blue. Gun Blue. Girl. Yeah, Gun Girl. Yeah. And I know this is his general response to people linked to military. He does it to her uncle. This is Gun Girl. She's got a gun and she's a girl. This is a sort of boss one. Are you the same one as before? Yes. I think he's probably her uncle, but I may have made that up to pass. I might have time. made it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's just being a general jerk. Yeah. Anyone gets caught. Yes. It is. Before we get further into this, I will say this is one of the markers they use for him as part of his development as a person, right? Because at the beginning, he doesn't learn anybody's names. That's mm-hmm. part of the she's my carer, she cares, so I don't have to. I, don't ha- I literally don't have time to learn your names. It's not worth it. But at the opening of next season, there's the whole beginning of the episode is him telling Davros, tell me your name. Make the decision that you're going to survive. So he does start getting people's names. So this is one of the little things that they used to show the doctor is learning. He's changing. But there is a really uncomfortable dynamic that we have to acknowledge when he's especially doing it to black characters because he does it a lot this season. Yes. A lot. It's more than the layer of your military folk. I have a grudge against you. It's after a history of every doctor giving nicknames for black characters instead of learning their names. There is, in the beginning, Mickey is called Ricky on purpose. Like, Mm -hmm. he He knows knows it's it's not not Mickey. Mickey. (laughs) Ricky. It's Mickey. No, it's Ricky. It's not Ricky. And at best, it's Mickey, but Mickey the idiot. Yeah. And Danny this season coming up, and he just gets called P.E., and we'll talk about that big fat pile of garbage later. And Courtney, disruptive influence. And Rigsy. Okay, local knowledge. You're coming with us. Local knowledge. All nicknames and not their name. This was my class. One of my students would be like, Professor, don't you think you're reading into that? No, I don't. Because it's really hard to not connect that to historical impulses to deny black people their names or proper titles as a method of depersonalization and dehumanization. So it's just, it's an unpleasant trend. And it is used for those exact reasons, especially when it comes to Danny and Mickey. Like, why? You could just not. You could just be quiet. One reoccurring theme in this episode that is not handled well is the comment that the doctor keeps making about not paying Clara. Mm. Literally calling out her emotional labor and the fact that he doesn't pay her for it. This is Clara, not my assistant. She's uh, some other word. I'm his carer. Yeah, my carer. She can, so I don't have to. One reason why it's so troubling is because, again, it's positioned in a history of doctors having women companions, and they are always the bearers of the emotional labor. Yeah. They always pick up the pieces for those that experience a traumatic event with a doctor and, you know, are left with what happens now, and they take care of their emotions. They take care of the doctor's emotions. They are there for the doctor to process. Mm -hmm. The doctor just assumes that that's what they can count on them for. And pretend that it goes away if I name it. Yeah. And that's like part of toxic masculinity as a whole, right? That men can't access their feelings until women, the angels, the higher creatures teach them how to. This is falling exactly into place with that societal reality. Yeah. Woman here, Clara, who's actually really good at this Mm -hmm. because she is a good caretaker. She is a great teacher and learns to balance all of those human aspects with how to bring out the best in her student, whoever they may be in the moment. But the fact that it's written as there's no other way for a doctor 
for the doctor to learn that other than through his woman companion. Yes. I do think this scene's a great example of a real mixed bag for that problem because one thing I really love about Clara in at least that beginning scene where he's saying, do I pay you enough? And she says, you're not my boss. You're one of my hobbies. That's an example of Clara really, I always tell my students, name it and claim it. Say the thing you're good at and be confident in it. It's okay to say, I am good at this. And that's what she's telling him in that moment. She's saying, oh, sweetie, you're not in charge here. I am. And it's because I'm good at this job and I have chosen to help you in this role because I know I'm good at it and I know I can make the world a better place by doing it. But it's conjoined at the same time with the problem that it's perpetuating a sexist trope. So I think this is a great example of a scene that makes me feel like I love this show, Doctor Who. I love it so much. And at the same time, it has some problems. And my critique of them does not lessen my joy of the show or lessen my uh, joy when I watch it. It just makes me want to look at it even more. Absolutely. And I think any person that embodies an, a minority that has an identity that's not at the center of privilege mm-hmm. knows this because, or else we wouldn't be able to enjoy literally anything. Yes. This is just the reality of fandom for us. Speaking of sexist bullshit, there is a lot in here of just what I would call classic garden variety Moffat sexist bullshit. Like the doctor saying that Clara isn't getting any younger and that she isn't looking very well. And when they're climbing through the tube, Clara says, any comments about my hips will not be appreciated. So just a lot of that. Yeah. Just the idea that a woman's value and worth and potential is wrapped up in her physical beauty or specifically in her birthing build, because that's the only reason you talk about somebody's hips being wide. Sucks. That sucks. Okay. So Caitlin, does this episode pass the Bechdel test? Nope. Yeah, I was thinking about whether or not it did, but when they talk, they are talking about her brother and Danny Pink, so no, huh? Exactly. Okay. And then there's a couple other women in this episode. One who sacrifices herself, and she tells the doctor to name something important after her, uh, which I don't think they follow up on. No. That would have been cool. You remembered her name for some bit of trivia one time. Gretchen Allison Carlisle. Hey. Does it pass the DuVernay test? I'm also going to say no on that one. I don't think that Journey Blue gets enough of her story fleshed out. We basically know that she has a brother who she loved. Yeah. You know what all this deconstruction and feminist analysis makes me feel like? What? Like I need to get some warm fuzzies to counteract being a deeply unfun feminist bitch. I mean, it's never too early in the podcast for that. It's true. You know where I can get those warm fuzzies? Where? The heart of the TARDIS. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Genetech's Moleculon Nanoscaler. Genetech is the brand you know and trust when it comes to making nanotechnology, so why not trust us for your descaling needs as well? Invest in one of our patented Moleculon Nanoscalers and see for yourself why Genetech is the leader in all things micro. Genetech. Tiny, but mighty. This is the heart of the TARDIS, where we talk about feels and supposed morals of the episode. Mm-hmm. One carryover from the first episode that we see here with the Doctor is his vulnerability continuing. Mm-hmm. He's gotten to the point where he can actually recognize that he needs someone. Yeah, and he vocalizes that when he asks Clara. Well, he doesn't really ask, but he does admit. 
I need you. Yeah. And that's a huge step compared to previous doctors, to be honest. Yeah. I don't get to the point of actually admitting and vocalizing, I need other people. Just think about the last time we had a doctor asking for help, which is Eleven sending invitations to his friends to his own death because he didn't want to be alone. Bruh. (laughs) So compare that, that manipulation, that sort of terrible, terrible decision to Twelve just showing up three weeks after he last saw Clara and saying, I need you to come with me right now, please. It's better. Still not great. But it's all tied to the fact that the Daleks are his biggest enemy. And this episode is drawing a parallel between him and Rusty. And they are, they're not slick about it, let's say. A little heavy handed. Yeah, I feel like I'm getting clobbered with brick. We get it. The doctor is like the Daleks. You say it literally out loud at the end. You are a good Dalek. But, I mean, the thing that's happening here is the doctor is actually trying to practice metacognition, which is, we would talk about this in my class if you were my students, that it's thinking about your thinking and thinking about your choices. So not just, I do the thing, but then stopping and going, oh, why did I do the thing? So we get to see that when he brings Kara into the TARDIS and he asks her, am I a good man? I don't know the answer. And she doesn't know how to answer either. But it's because he's trying to make sense of who he is and things he's done. And he's using the only set of standards that make sense to him, which is class. Yeah, I think that's fair when you don't trust your own perspective to Mm -hmm. have all of the information needed. People in privileged positions need to do that all the time. Yeah. Although, of course, that's not where you stop. That's where you start. Yes. Start by saying, my perspective is very limited by these blind spots. Yeah. And then from there, you do the job to educate yourself. Yes. And not just continually place that burden on someone else. I will say that he it makes sense, especially in this episode, that he's using Clara as his measuring stick because she's the only one with an ethical system that makes any goddamn sense. Yeah, she's the only one that's like, hey, maybe good and bad aren't stable categories. Yeah. Maybe people aren't born evil and remain evil for the rest of their lives. That's their only destiny. Yeah. The idea that somebody is born evil and that's just how it is and not that your ethical system is the product of both upbringing and environment and also choices you make. So there's like two things, right? You were talking about this earlier, that it's not just what she's teaching him in the episode, but it's also what she's teaching him long-term as the companion. Yeah, there's a theme in this episode that acknowledges, Clara, you are a good teacher. In naming it in this episode, we're naming, okay, Clara, you taught the doctor the obvious lesson, the lesson of the Dalek, right? But it also sets up the lesson that Clara is going to be teaching the doctor through this entire first season. Yes. It's a lesson that he starts off as, you are my caretaker, Mm -hmm. you care so I don't have to. And by the end of his run, Clara teaches him to actually care. Yeah, I have a duty of care. he ends up taking on that role of, I have a duty of care. Yeah. Oh my god. It's so sad. It is so sad, but it's so good. And it's, it's a mixed bag. Yes. Because that is beautiful as a story arc. Yes. That is beautiful to see a character go from, I don't give a shit, I don't have time to learn even your name. Yeah. To, I have a duty of care. It is my responsibility. It is my responsibility. Yeah. Yes. But, but at the same time, it's, it's shitty. intrinsically tied to that sexist bullshit we were just talking about in the Black Archive. And it's both at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. So I can love it with my whole heart and also be like, that is also sexist bullshit, though. So, Brenna, 
What are we sending to a crack in time and space this episode? We are sending classist Aristotelian bullshit to a crack in time and space. No one needs that. No one asked for that. <sighs> you know, here's the thing. You could reasonably make an allusion to Nicomachean ethics and talk about how Aristotle thinks that somebody's ethical disposition, their hexis, is built not only from the environment they're a part of, but also from practice, right? Because that's that's part of what they think they're borrowing off of here, that the doctor has to practice being a good person. But that's not what they're doing here. They just call the ship the Aristotle. And then they proceed to write an episode about ethics and think that, oh, look at me, I'm so smart, and pat themselves on the back. The only role that that name is playing in this episode is to say, as the writer, I studied the classics. I went to a fancy boarding school. Look at us. I'm so smart. And I wouldn't be so irritated by it if there weren't a show that does this exceedingly well, which is The Good Place. The Good Place will take... They'll take a complicated ethical theory, they'll take Kant, they'll take the trolley problem, and they will spend an episode unpacking it, and in a way that actually not only helps me understand the theory, but also enriches my understanding of what's happening in the episode, right? Because that's what an illusion is. That's what they think they're doing here. I always tell my students, an illusion is a cultural touchstone that you refer to that helps both you and the audience understand what you're trying to do better. This doesn't help me understand what you're trying to do better. It makes me want to knock you into next week. But it doesn't help me understand the content of this episode any better, unless I do a lot of Googling. And I'm just not gonna. So fuck all the way off with that, is what I'm saying. Byronimo to that. <laughs> Bitch. And now to end the episode, it's time to talk about our top three moments. Uh, actually, it's top four. Okay. But. <laughs> and we didn't want to get rid of any of them. They're all our it's babies. our goddamn podcast. And we can do whatever the fuck we want. All right. What's one of your moments? I love when they fall down the tube into the goo and she says, is Ross here? <laughs> the doctor's delivery of... Yeah. Don't play out if you want to say a few words. Such an asshole. And it makes me laugh every time I watch this episode. Brutally cruel. Mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just, it's one of those times that if you haven't watched clips of Peter Capaldi on The Thick of It, then I would encourage you, don't watch the show. It's really upsetting. But the clips of him just improving are mind-blowing. Peter Capaldi has just a wicked sense of humor. And this is one of those moments where I'm like, fuck me, Peter Capaldi is so funny. And if they would have just loosened a little bit on the script, we could have had a real good time. I agree. What about you? I'm going to say Journey's amazing execution of her line <laughs> replying to Clara. So uh, it makes you smile. There's nobody up for the job. My brother. He burnt to death a couple of hours ago, so he's really letting me down today. Excuse me. And then she just walks off like she dropped a <laughs> mic or something. So good. Brilliant. The third just fun one is the sassy Dalek at the end. Oh, you mean the intergalactic side-eye? Rusty is a sassy, messy bitch. He lives for drama. And I love it. <laughs> I do love there it. There was a double take, too. I know. He does one, and then he gets to the end of the hall, and then he does another one. Iconic. An alien drag. Yeah. <laughs> And then our other top three, top four moment is obviously Clara telling the doctor, no, that's not what we just learned today. And smacking the shit out of him. He deserves it. I think he definitely deserves to get smacked. And I love to see somebody who deserves to get smacked get the bejesus smacked out of them. You shouldn't smack people. That's bad. But I like that she gives him a good old smackaroo. But the other thing is that Clara is a good teacher and she's not fucking around with him. 
and from a, we were talking about this earlier, part of why she's a good teacher is not just because she meets people at the individual level and she acknowledges them as human beings and learns their names and learns what they like, but also that she is, from a pedagogical standpoint, she is teaching effectively, right? She doesn't just stand up there and say, good and bad are not stable categories. She stages the circumstances for the doctor to discover on his own. And then when he fucks it, she goes, no, that's not what we just learned. Why don't you review the information that you have and try again? I think someone posted this quote somewhere. I don't know if it was on the Black Girls Create Slack recently, but it was about what makes a good teacher is not getting up there in front of a class showing how smart they are. It's getting up in front of a class and showing how smart you are, the student. Mm -hmm. And that's what Clara does here. Okay, Queerdos, that's it for this week. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Queer Archive Pod. And we want to hear from you, your thoughts, your feels about this episode, about the universe, about everything. And please do rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because it helps other Queerdos find us too. Until next time, be gay. Do crimes. speakers and please be my doctor whoever yeah uh-huh uh-huh yes sir yeah.